Welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefee, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facility side of our business. Hello, and welcome to the Beyond the Baselines podcast. I'm Ed Shanifee, your host, and each week it's a pleasure to bring you the news and the views from the private members club and boutique hotel industries where hospitality is the name of the game. Our guest this week realizes just that, that member services and hospitality are the key ingredients to any country club department. Pat Gunning is one of those guys that just knows what to do and how to do it. He knows that if he gives quality service, he will, in return, receive the best from his club, his members, and his staff. Director of golf at Noyak Golf Club on Long Island, New York, Pat knew he wanted to be a golf professional very early on. The toughest part of his career may have been convincing his parents before he set off to Penn State to study under PGA guidelines and class content. Now he supports that PGA program with interns every summer from his alma mater. He spent his summers working at Pebble Beach and started in earnest as a PGA intern, a part of his certification at the lowly Shinnecock Hills, again on Long Island. Pat's experience also took him to one of the premier private members clubs, Seminole Golf Club there in Juneau Beach, Florida, where he learned that every member has a different expectation. In comparison, he has also worked at public facilities and realizes that service to any member or player is the key to success. He likes building relationships, long-term relationships with the members over their time at the club. I saw this firsthand in Massachusetts. I met Pat way back in 2016 and watched him work his wonders at Catanza Club here in Marion, Massachusetts, one of the top 100 courses in the country and one of the toughest I personally have ever played. It must be tough to greet members after tough rounds. The club's membership was extremely sad to see Pat leave in 2019 as he left an indelible mark as Catanza grew in both stature and finances. And through that entire transition, he remained a beloved director of golf. But now, without any further ado, the gent who knows just what member services means. From Noyak Golf Club on Long Island, the director of golf, here's Pat. Hey folks, welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. And this week I've got Pat Gunning, who's the director of golf over there on Long Island. He's uh, he's, uh, going through a little thunderstorm today, but Pat, uh, welcome to the podcast all the way from Newark, Newark Golf Club. Thanks for being here. Ed, thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be on your show and, and look forward to our chat today. Thanks for uh, thinking of me and inviting me to join. Well, it's great to have, uh, you know, I always say golf is uh, steps ahead of the tennis industry in terms of country club life. So with that being in mind, take us through a day in your life. You know, how do you start your day? What What time do you get to work? Do you still teach? Take us through a day of uh, the life of Pat Gunning there in uh, Sag Harbor, it, Long Island. Every day is a bit of an adventure with a four and a two-year-old, as I'm sure you, you can relate to. So, um, you know, the, the time, morning time is a little different every day, depending on when when the little ones uh, start to stir. But I'd say it's usually around the six o'clock window where they start to, to wake up and, and get their day going, which is uh, about when, you know, we need to get our days going. You know, typically once the kids are set and ready to go to, to school and daycare, um, you know, and I'm ready to go into work, I usually get in about 7, 7.15 most days, um, a little earlier on weekends. Um, our first our first starting time on weekends is 6.30, so I, I try to get here right around that time to see as many people as I can before they go out and play. 
some days I'm successful, some days I'm not, depending on how, how the kids are doing. And, and uh, God bless my wife. She handles a lot of that stuff um, for us. And, and she's the best with the kids. So it lets me spend time at the club with our members and, and um, do the job I, I need to do and love to do. So once I'm here, yeah, to your point, I do teach. I teach about four to five hours a day. And I try to structure my days. Um, I've, I've tried some different things over the years to give myself the greatest amount of time to be visible with our membership. And that's either teaching two hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon or trying to block all of my teaching time together in one four or five hour window to have the afternoon or morning open. Um, so it, it kind of depends on the week and the day and what's going on at the club. But um, it, it's a great it's a great day. Usually I get to do a lot of different things on any given day. And I try to end up at home and have dinner with the kids and, and my wife as many times as I can. And um, I really have no complaints. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. It can be a circus some days, but it's uh, it's an enjoyable one. How many do you have on staff there? How many pros, how many shop assistants, yeah. I guess, caddy house, I mean, not caddies, but you know, sure. uh, bag room, all that kind of stuff. Sure. We have, we have four assistant professionals. Uh, we have my wife actually works at the club. She manages the golf shop for us. So she's here. Uh, I have three interns and on the outside staff, I have about six people that work on the outside operations staff. So it's, it's a pretty good size crew and very thankful for them. They all do a wonderful job and, and uh, make, make what I do a lot easier because they're also good at their jobs. So we're very lucky to have a good team. That's great. And, and how many members are there at, at one course, right? One 18 holes? One, yeah, we have 18 holes. We have 300 members. Um, and that, that doesn't include spouses and, and kids and things like that. So I, I would say we have about 450 golfers um, that go with those 300 memberships to the club. Great. So you've got, you know, you're, you've got a good size staff for, I guess we call 300 bonded certificate households, that kind of yeah. thing. Do, do you find that, um, you know, the, the COVID we, 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 we've come through it, hopefully knock wood. I uh, hope so. <laughs> yeah, me too. The last two years uh, on the tennis side, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, 4 million new tennis players, new pickleball players. On the golf side, there was something I think I saw in 2022, 10 million more got rounds of golf. And I know I met you, Pat, up, up here in Marion at Catanzit when you were the director of golf here. And I guess during uh, during COVID, they went to tee times. Do you have tee times there at Noyette? We do. And it's interesting. This is the first club I have ever worked at that's had starting times, tee time, starting time, same difference. And right. It, it really allows you to anticipate what's going to happen so much better. It, it, ma it makes the flow of the day so much easier. And, and having come from places that are more traditional and, and don't have starting times, I, I really loved that aspect of those places too. But now having seen the other side of it and, and from the management point of view, it makes it a lot easier when you know who's coming. Um, but prior to COVID, we had starting times on weekends only. So we would have starting times on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Monday through Thursday was kind of walk up and play at your leisure. And once COVID came, we've gone to starting times every day, all day. So, and we've kind of stuck with that even this year. And I, I imagine we'll continue that going forward. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, six years ago, I came up here to Sipcan and, and it was uh, show up and wait. And um, now we have trouble getting courts for reservations and people say, I can't get a court. And I said, well, I used to come over and have to wait an hour and a half. Uh, which do you prefer knowing that you can start at nine or nine 30 or wait an hour and a half. And I, I think the same holds true for golf now. So it's so busy, but what I, I totally agree with you. I love looking at my court schedule 
and knowing a who's going to be there, b what they might need, and see how many staff I need to to, to roll sweep before they start. It, you know, if it's a staggered start in the morning, I know I can I can start a little later with the the, the rolling if it's a wet day or what have you. But I think from management side, uh, starting times, court reservations, it's it's really a no brainer, isn't it? It really is, and especially in in my world when we're dealing with caddies and caddy requests, and and um, you know, COVID kind of ended the the caddy yard or caddy shack, if you will, because they didn't really have a place to congregate and weren't really able to congregate anywhere. So the starting times make it very easy to assign caddies to certain times, and they're able to come an hour before their time, and and they you know they take care of their players and and on with their day. So. From from that perspective, it, it's just kind of better for everybody. Um, I, I think I, I'm I'm a fan of it. And if you asked me maybe four or five years ago, I, I probably would have had a different answer. Uh, the traditionalist in me would have said, "No, you know, no starting times ever." But having having lived it and operated that way for four years now, I I think it would be uh, it'd be challenging to go back the other way. So it, it's been it's been great from a management perspective, knowing to your point who's coming and being able to anticipate their needs before they're here. At Beyond the Baselines, we have over 25 years of experience with management of private members' clubs and boutique resorts. Whether it's finding the inefficiencies caused by the blurring of roles between management and board governance, managing a single department, or educating and mentoring a key employee, we have served the private members' club industry like no other consultancy since 2007. Partnering with club governing bodies and working alongside management, we bring a team of highly specialized and experienced experienced associates for that personal touch and hands-on management style to achieve long-term goals with short-term results. At Beyond the Baselines, we understand the traditions and importance of membership, but history and connections to a bygone era shouldn't inhibit growth. In fact, we believe they can be a catalyst for change. So please visit our website at beyondthebaselines.com or give us a call at 508-538-1288. That's 508-538-1288. So you've been a director of golf. I, I don't know your whole resume, but I, I've known you've been at least, you know, 10 years, seven, 10 years. Um, take us through the career, your career path in a way. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk about how uh, tennis instructors, tennis pros are going, uh, are going through their certification process. The, the, the PGA certification process is, 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 is mighty. And uh, just take us quickly through that because I like to hear from someone who's done it rather than someone who's, you know, selling to do it or trying to get. Yeah, to there, there's, there's two different avenues and uh, Avenue a is you go to one of the university programs um, that takes you through the PGA's curriculum concurrently with your, you know, your college degree, which is the route that I took. Um, the other option is if you're post-college or choose not to go to college, that there's a way to earn your certification on your own without going through that university program. So um, the you can look at it two ways. The benefit or drawback of going through the university program is you have to make up your mind that you want to do this as an 18-year-old, which how many 18-year-olds really know what they want to do? It, it's, a hard, it's a hard decision and a hard question to make. So, um, but thankfully, you know, I decided to do this um, after high school. I had worked in golf you know, as a caddy and worked in the bag room and did things like that through high school and met a few people along that journey that had gone to the university programs and I was exposed to it that way and and decided that that would be a pretty cool path to take. Um, 
then I had to get my parents to buy in on that, which was maybe the tougher, tougher challenge than, uh, <laughs> that, than me deciding to want to go on my own, but, uh, ended up going to Penn state, uh, which was a great experience. Uh, went through the golf management program there, which takes you through at that time, there were three levels of PGA curriculum work that we had to work through and included in there is 16 months of internship hours or internship time. And that was done in the summer. So you, you do your classwork throughout the, the school year. And in the summer, you'd be required to go and find an internship in, in the industry. And um, I was fortunate to, to work at some pretty cool places for internships. I spent the summer out at Pebble Beach in California, which was pretty cool. Um, and then I spent um, most of my time at Shinnecock Hills here on Long Island. I started there as an intern. And, you know, the, the PGA curriculum really is it's designed to expose you to as many things as possible that you might experience when you do this for a living. And the book work side of it is, is pretty good, but you, you do the majority of your learning on the job. So the, those internship hours are really crucial. And that's where I learned, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I know now and a lot of what I've incorporated into how I run my operations was as an intern and as an assistant coming up through the ranks. So, um, the other way guys can do it, if they do it on their own, they're usually working in the golf industry already and working towards attaining their certification status as they're working their job. So uh, it does take a few years to get through it. There's, there's some testing and, and you have to pass a playing ability test. Um, there's obviously continuing education that we all do once we have our certification. So it's, it's pretty well done. You know, there's always room for improvement in any type of educational um, certification, but, but it's, uh, it's pretty well done. That's the PGA, right? PGA certification. Yeah. If you, you earn your class A membership with the PGA of America is what you, you work towards. Yep. So uh, going back a little bit, obviously you had interns this year. You had three interns, I think you said. We did. Um, yeah. Is that part of the program? Were they part of that program? They are. Yep. They're all okay. part of that program. Uh, the three the three students we had this year were from Penn State. So I, I, try, to, I try to support my alma mater as best as I can. And um, I've had a lot of a lot of success with uh, with kids from from Penn State that have come to work for me over the years, and there's a lot of other great programs out there too where I've had interns from, and they've all been they've all been fantastic. Great, and now Pebble Beach. You, you mentioned Pebble Beach, obviously. You know, for non golfers, it's you know an iconic course out there in California on the on the coast. It's it's public technically. It's not a private club, is it? Not private. No, it's a it's a resort. So anybody right. willing to, you know, to, to pay a small fortune to, to spend some time out there and play golf is, is uh, definitely able to do so. Uh, so it's great. Yeah. I mean, what, what a place to spend an internship. internship. And, and here's the other thing is you got the best of both worlds there because you were at, Ch at Chinnacock Hills, which is, again, I believe a private club. It is. Yep. So you saw the public and private facilities. What, what, would, what would you say would be the major differences as an intern or as a golf director? Um, uh, between those two types of facilities, obviously Pebble Beach is, you know, not really not much parallels Pebble <laughs> Beach, but well, I think I think in both I think in both cases that you're trying to provide a world class experience every day, right? So in in the case of Pebble Beach, you're providing that experience to different people every day. Most likely, that there's resort guests that are in town for a couple of days or a week and it's a trip of a lifetime. They might get to play pebble once in their life. And, and it's a really huge trip and, and a major expense by the way, for, for them to do so and flip the coin. And on, on the private club side, um, you're still trying to provide that 
really high-end, once-in-a-lifetime experience to your club members you might see every day. And I think everybody desires a different experience. Uh, I think you have to treat every person, every member, every guest um, a little differently to meet the expectation they have. Uh, because not everybody's expectation is, is exactly the same, as you know. So uh, I, think, I think working at Pebble um, helped me to understand that, uh, that there's definitely some core competencies or core values that Pebble Beach has and trains their employees to, to provide the experience a certain way. And, and you learn over the course of a few days, if you have the same resort guests, they might like you know, a, a can of Coke in their golf cart, just as a small example, and um, somebody else might not like that. So you, you kind of take some of those pieces and say, okay, um, this is fun. I get to provide this service to these people for the three days they're here. Um, and in, in my case now, in the private club world, I'm trying to provide that experience to my membership every day they're here. Um, and uh, look, there's there's challenges in each in each world. And um, I, I like the relationship building aspect of the private club. You, you get to build and develop relationships with your membership over a, a long period of time and, and provide that service based on what you know about your membership, which is a pretty unique position to be in. Yeah, our CRM's in our head, isn't it? yeah it's funny you should say that i I got my best friend from high school well all through school i got him a a job where i was working down in florida quail valley and and he's uh he's a a great great guy very thoughtful and and there's a member and this is a perfect example members said dang it i really like a diet sprite or maybe it was fantastic one of those weird drinks and uh my friend went out bought him a case and all bought a case put it behind the you know the, the the bar and would just fill his locker every week with you know just out of compassion yeah sure and the 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 christmas gratuity was pretty hefty just for doing those <laughs> thoughtful i mean i always say it's part of the reason i started beyond the baselines it's beyond the baselines it's it's member services and we're really yep. in the hospitality business absolutely we, we swing golf clubs and tennis rackets yeah we're uh, hospitality and entertainment when you really think about it entertainment yeah yeah, yeah. you're it's a show and the show yeah. must go on, whether it's raining or snowing. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've been lucky to work for some great, great professionals in, in my career. And and um, my my head professional at, at Shinnecock, Jack Druga, his, his tagline was always, you know, the little things take care of the big things. And that's a good example, you know, putting a, a can of Diet Sprite in somebody's, you know, cart or in, in somebody's, you know, whatever is a great little thing that makes that person's experience better. And uh, um, another another past past boss of mine uh bob ford who's a legendary golf professional he would always he would always try to treat people that came to the club like guests in his home and i thought that was a great way to think about it um if you have guests coming over to your home how do you want them to be treated and and if you try to treat everybody that comes to your facility that way you're going to do a pretty good job i'd like to welcome our first sponsor here at beyondthebaselines.com podcast and that's play by court playbycourt.com Choosing the right technology partner is not an easy task. However, staying with the same outdated provider can be a costly decision. And with today's fast-changing environment, well, you need a partner that will help you adapt to the ever-growing needs of your members. At Play by Court, well, they provide the best technology solution customized for your club. With their app, your members can easily manage their profile. They, they can book courts, programs, lessons. They can pay. I asked Andre, show me the payment solutions. It's fantastic. And your members can communicate directly with members and you, the staff. So please go have a look at playbycourt.com and see what really matters most to your members. 
Your club, your rules, your software. Playbycourt.com. Now, speaking about like management of interns and your pros and your staff and trying to create that wonderful environment for your for your members, how often do you hold a, a management meeting with your staff? Do you have one in the beginning of the summer, middle of the summer, every week, biweekly? I, I ask that because I want to know because I had an intern this year and, for, you know, for our jobs, as you know, it, mentoring is such a, a big part of it. And um, I probably should have had more meetings. And uh, I'm asking you what, do, what do you, what do you do? Yeah, I, I find it tough in the middle of the season, you know, when when everybody's working 12, 13 hour days to, to say, hey, guys, you all have to come in an hour early or stay an hour late for a for a staff meeting. And it, it's a little different now than than maybe when maybe I was younger and maybe when you were younger coming up through the ranks, too. And, you know, I'm, I'm accustomed to just being at the club all day. That, that's just the way I was I was brought up. And, and that was just kind of the deal. And. And now it's a little different. Now everybody has kind of a schedule, you know, they're working maybe eight to two or, you know, 11 to close. It's, you know, people kind of have lives, which I think is great. And I think it's a needed change in our industry, but it makes it challenging to do things like that staff meetings on a consistent basis. So we, we really kind of have an informal meeting almost every day. Um, myself and my assistants, we're always talking about what's coming up in the office just, you know, before the day gets going, or if we have a lull in the mid afternoon or late in the day, um, we're always in constant communication, but as far as a, a full tilt staff meeting, I do once a year, uh, usually early in the season before Memorial day, just to get everybody on the same page and communicate what my expectations are, uh, especially if, if we have new people on our team that they understand what the expectation is and, and that they know to, you know, come talk to me whenever they need to. I, I keep my door open. I'm, I'm pretty, um, hopefully not that intimidating to, to be around. And I, I think uh, I try to keep a great relationship with all of all the guys that work here. But uh, I would say due to the nature of the beast and how fast paced everything is here in season, uh, our meetings are very informal. Yeah, ours are too. I, I have exactly like you. And I'm, I'm I, you know, some, you always have to second guess yourself as a director. Um, I have a big one at the beginning of the season and, I, I reiterate that uh, every time you talk to a member, you talk to an owner. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like they own the shop. And I think, unfortunately, some of the younger uh, interns or people in our business may not always understand that until it's proven to them by the member. So, <laughs> um, But I try to remind them of that before we start. And uh, I, too, have a big meeting at the beginning of the year. And then I try to have an exit interview with each uh, member and we have informal you know looking at the basically looking over the computers together saying hey who's got this who's got that have we have we swept that court have we have we got the balls ready for that kind of a uh, you know we've got the, the orange balls ready for the kids at that age that right time. yeah we'll, we'll we'll do some meetings before major tournaments you know if we have if we have an event with a lot of moving parts we'll we'll have a you know a brief staff meeting just to cover the basis of what everybody needs to be doing who's responsible for what aspect of the event uh, just to make sure we're on the same page with that. But to, to your point too, I'll try to meet with everybody on my staff one-on-one, you know, at least once or twice a month informally, whether we take a golf cart ride to, to check on the golf course or just something to sit down and say, Hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, anything I need to know about it, anything I have to help you with, just, just, just trying to make sure that you have the finger on the pulse of what's going on with the, with the team. From the kitchens to the courts, the practice tees to the waterfront, Beyond the Baselines is your partner to find the best in-class employees for your club, facility, or resort. 
Beyond the Baselines is the leading executive search firm for private members clubs and boutique resorts. Whether you are a member-owned club or a corporate hotel entity, we are the specialists for you in elite hospitality. It's not just the members that should feel loyalty to their club. It's the sense of loyalty combined with the pride of offering superior service and hospitality in every worker that makes a good club that much better. Call us today at 508-538-1288. So find that right candidate with us today or visit us on the web at beyondthebaselines.com. That's 508-538-1288. Hey, switching, uh, switching uh, questions here, switching directions. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm thinking it's the era of reconstructing golf courses. And I, I say that because I went out and played Tanzan. Actually, I think I shot a 39 on the back, which I was really happy with. Yeah, that 17th hole, you know it. Um, How many shots you again? That's that's almost unfair if I have to play you shooting 39. <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to ask you, I, so Catanz, it's made some changes. I think you were there for some of them with Gil Hans coming up, moving mounds around because people are hitting balls different distances now. He did the changes at Southern Hills for the PGA. And then I, I did some history, and it looks like yours at a William Mitchell course, and Ross Forbes has come in recently and changed the, yeah. the course there a bit. And that course was only built, I think, in 19, early 60s, 63. Yeah, 1963, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. You know, there, there's this distance boom in golf. Right? Everybody talks about, oh, is the golf ball going too far? I mean, look, at the professional level, that's one thing. But at the amateur level, uh, you know, I don't really know many guys that are hitting it further than they did five years ago, right? So mm -hmm. it, it's a bit of a different case. And to, is it the era of reconstruction? I guess, yes, in a way. I think every facility is always trying to improve what they have, um, whether it be playing conditions, you know, green surfaces, difficulty of holes, things of that nature. I mean, everybody wants to make what they have better. Um, and it, it's everything that we've done here over the years. You know, I've been here for a small part of the changes that have happened Um Ross Forbes has been consulting with the club for, I think, over 10 years now. And a lot of what's been done here was to improve the playing surfaces and improve the, you know, the basically the conditioning of the golf course. Um, the greens were rebuilt to USGA specifications. Trees have been taken down to improve turf conditions. So I, a lot of things that have been done here are more, uh, more for playing conditions than they are for actual, you know, making major changes to the golf holes or the way the holes are played. Um, what what, what done, is the USGA specification for green? What what is that like? Certain have to be certain widths. They have to have certain grass. Certain what, no, it, it really it doesn't have to do with the you know the the actual setup of the green. You know, meaning the contours of it or or you know what it looks like or, or how high it is. But it, it's really the what's underneath the green kind of the subsurface the the sand and the soil and, and the drainage components that are underneath the grass that, that the USGA has specifications for. Um, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that there's, that, that there's a certain mix of things that happen underneath the roots that make it a USGA spec, you know, up to USGA spec. Um, so we've done a few things to make some changes to a couple of the holes based on a master plan that Ross Forbes has laid out for us. And my personal opinion on golf course changes, the, the best changes that I witness or see that are changes that make the golf course harder for the A and B player, mm -hmm. but easier for the C and D player. So in Catanza's case, you know, things like moving mounds, 
into locations that make that make it more challenging for you know a, a lower handicap player from their set of tees but the mounds might have been moved in a place where a higher handicap from a shorter tee they won't be in play for that player so it, it it's kind of the genius of it and a lot of these architects are really good at this of making the hole playable for every type of player and i think that that's the hardest part about making golf course changes and and when when that's achieved it really it really makes a positive difference yeah, I got involved in a conversation, and I think it was, I, don't know if it, I can't remember what it was, um, but we were talking about it's not just changes uh, with modernity, but also at times taking it back to the original, I think it was at the country club, I was looking at pictures, the original um, green. So like a lot of like through age, the edge of the greens slope, the traps, I guess, get smaller or bigger, I, I forget, but it's trying to figure out where they were originally, maybe designed a hundred years ago and going back to that and making the course like a lot of times the greens get smaller is what I understand. So then you have to make the greens bigger and that makes it easier for the, the CD player, I guess, but then longer putts for the AB player. Yeah. You know that there's definitely a lot of green expansion. You hear about that happening a lot and, and taking the green sizes back to their original design. And yeah, you know, I guess over the years, you know, maybe the, the mowing line creeps in an inch a year and over 20 years that that's a pretty significant amount of grass that's grown, you know, where green used to be. But it definitely, you know, when you when you expand a green, you definitely bring in more whole locations, which makes it, you know, makes for different challenges. And, um, and, and you know, it gives the player some more options if they miss the green. You have a little more option for what kind of shot you want to play. So that that's definitely become popular lately. And I think to your point, the goal is to get it back to the original intent of the architect. You know, Shinnecock's done that. The country club's done that. There's been a lot of clubs that have done that in recent years with, with a lot of success. I joke about on the same vein. I joke about this, but I always say, hey, you know, uh, we tennis pros, directors, we, we're out there sweeping and, you know, raking and lining. <laughs> and I say, hey, when was the last time I saw a golf pro get on a sweeper in a bunker? Right. But <laughs> and, and I've yet to see it happen. But how close is your relationship with your with your superintendent out there? I mean. And with your greens committee chairperson, do they come and ask you about certain, I mean, certain things that they're thinking of doing? Are you yeah, we, that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we have a great relationship and we, we speak, you know, gosh, almost every day or at least every other day and, and just about what's going on on the golf course. And um, because really, I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm kind of the, the first line of defense, you know, I, I see all the members every day and they're going to ask me questions about what's going on on the golf course. And um, I, I want to make sure I'm answering in a way that, you know, the superintendent is comfortable with. And, and that's, that's the right way to answer some of the questions I might get. So we definitely try to be on the same page with, um, with what's happening on the golf course and obviously coordinate on schedules with events and things like that. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm definitely involved with the greens committee when there's discussion about, uh, changing holes or removing trees or, or things of that nature. You know, they, they definitely, um, you know, value my opinion, which is, it's great to be at a place that, that does value my opinion and includes me in those things. Um, and makes me, me feel like part of the team to make positive changes. And, um, I think when you're working with a, an architect, who's a professional at this, it makes it a lot easier. Um, because generally, you know, you go with that person's recommendation and it, it's not, you know, oh, you know, hey, Pat said to move that bunker there, or Pat said to cut that tree down, or my superintendent said we got to cut that tree down. It's this is the recommendation of the architect that us collectively agree upon, 
And it just, it kind of, it makes it a little easier process when you go to the membership with, with proposed changes that way. Interesting. I mean, you know, I'd say you, you make a great point. You are always, we are as directors, always the first line of defense and in actuality, you think about it, the, the superintendent's really never member facing and it, that must be tough on, on them. I've never thought of that, but they, they're back there at the maintenance shed, you know, working on the greens on the course, you know, maybe 5 a.m. to 2, 2 p.m., but they really, really get to see members, do they? Yeah, I think, you know, for, for our, our crew, you know, our, our superintendent spends a lot of time out on the golf course and he will see a lot of members out there when he's doing his, you know, his checks on the golf course and, and doing some projects throughout the day. So he'll see a lot of members out there and, and, and okay. so will his crew. They're, they're constantly out there um, doing work. Those guys work their tails off. So they're, oh. they're really, you know, I, I can speak for the guys here, here at Noyak. They, they do a phenomenal job with, with our golf course and um, they work really, really hard. And they all do it with such a positive attitude, which is which is the best part about it. And um, same thing for you know, like John Kelly and his staff at Catanza were always always the same way. And um, it, it, they don't get enough credit, I think, in general, that the superintendents and their crew because they they really, if you think about their job, if if, if something goes on on the golf course then what I do doesn't really matter if there's not a golf course to be played. So, you know, what, what happens in the restaurant doesn't really matter if the golf course isn't there to be played so that there's a lot of pressure on them and, um, and they really do a wonderful job all, all around. Yeah. I, I mean, we struggled on the courts with, I'm, I'm sure you didn't get a lot of rain in long Island either. None. Um, yeah. yeah, we had none. And, and that, that was an interesting thing. You know, we, we were down in terms of play and in terms of programming, but because we didn't lose any rain days, we're not actually that far down. Um, Day to day, we were down, but over the entire summer, if you take the whole summer as a whole, the lack of rain, other than making courts dusty, and 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 I felt for the Catanzas guys because they had the USGA seniors there this year, mm-hmm. and they kept that course amazing, uh, given cost. that the the lake was down to zero, um, you know, and it, I could see them hand watering and keeping those greens uh, green. Leads on to my next question: Is you have these huge? I mean. You know, where I am in a tennis club, we we have, you know, we worry about seven years time where we have to put another layer of clay down or we might have to upgrade the irrigation. You upgrading an irrigation system on a golf course is a capital expenditure. I, I, I can't fathom as a director of tennis. How do you get involved with that conversation? I know the general manager does. I know the greens committee the superintendent, but do, do they look at membership and initiations and dues? Dues going up with those huge capital expenditure plans in the offing. Yeah, you know we we have a we have a long term strategic planning committee here, um, and and a lot of those conversations start in that committee. And you know how things usually work is they start as ideas, like oh hey, wouldn't it be great if we did this, or wouldn't it be great if we did that, and and those ideas get looked at by that particular committee. And a timeline for those things get recommended to the board and, and the board either adopts it or changes it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not like on a whim where you'll say, hey, we're going to redo the irrigation system this year. Um, unless something catastrophic happens and it absolutely needs to be done for the health and maintenance of the golf course. But um, a, lot of, a lot of projects that get done go through that committee and, and are planned, you know, at least I would say, 12 to 24 months in advance of, of them happening. Um, and to be honest, recently we just renovated our practice facility here. Uh, we, we blew up the entire practice range, rebuilt everything from the range tee to the landing area with new target greens. We built an indoor outdoor teaching facility. 
So this was just done this past fall, but that project had been in the works for probably two years prior. Um, and the budgeting and planning for it had begun at that stage. So when, when the board decided to go to membership for the approval on the project and the expenditure, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a shock. It was kind of, it was in the pipeline. People knew this was coming and, and it was an easy, an easy push through. Um, and the finished result has been really, really fantastic with our new facilities. But, you know, for, for our club, we're lucky to be in a position where we've been able to do a lot of these upgrades without any assessment to the membership. That's fantastic so, planning. So the, the long-term planning committee takes a hard look at these things and, and, and tries to make sure that we're able to continue to do that, make, make positive changes to the club without taking on debt or without assessing the membership. So, um, but it's, it's fun to be part of that, part of that process um, and, and help where I can and, in the order of projects to be done or, um, you know, when you get into the nitty gritty of the actual project itself, things that can change, you know, there's always change orders when you start these things. It doesn't go exactly the plan. There's always things, oh, we should do this instead. So uh, being involved in the process start to finish is pretty cool. I was just at the club this morning and um, it's, it's a rainy day here. I know it's brightening up where you are. So the sun's coming here too. Yeah. Um, but we always sit down, my manager and I sit down and as we're doing the mop up procedures, as you know, you, you reconcile accounts, you, you look at where your play was, you look at what days were busy. You look at what, what clinics may have worked, what, what, what teacher may have taught a little bit more than the other. All those questions come up at the end of the day. Well, I always ask my manager, I'm going to ask you the same question. What was mm-hmm. your big win? this summer and i call it the summer of back to normality what was your big win and what was something you need to work on for next year it's always a good question right it's always good to think about those things and and to your point you know we're kind of in the the stage of beginning to look at 2023 and what that's going to look like from a staffing perspective from a programs perspective and um we're definitely right in the middle of that evaluation process right now and and I, i would say I would say the big win for me and for our team this year was very simply our team. Um, we had, I had a, a big year of turnover. I had four new staff members this year. So it's always a challenging year when you have new people that need to come in and learn the expectation and learn the membership and understand the programs and the tournaments. And um, really, really proud of, of the team that, that we have here and, and the job they've done this year. And I think that for me is the biggest win and will always be the biggest win is, is the team because without the team, the service isn't really there. Um, so our guys developed really great relationships with the members. They did a great job on all of our tournaments. We had a great summer of teaching and clinics. Um, so I, I think all of those things happen because of the team. So that's a really easy one. And I hope to have that answer every year that the team is the, the biggest win always. From an operational perspective, the biggest win is the new practice facility that we opened and, and the, the additional experience that has created for our membership has been really, really a positive. Um, the th- something we need to change or look at differently for next year. Um, it's a good question. I think, I think we always try to evaluate our tournament programs and calendar uh, to make for a healthy balance of competitive events and open play. 
And that's always a challenge, as you know, I'm sure it's the same in, in your world as it is in the golf world. And uh, I think there are some things we are going to look at next year to, to make that, to make that calendar a little bit more manageable for, for people that just want to play. Um, but, but overall, um, I really don't have a major downside for this year, which I think is a great thing. Um, so hoping to, to rinse and repeat a lot of things we did this year, next season with, with some enhancements and, and, you know, maybe pump up some events or do some things a little differently that add a little more, a little more excitement to some things. But, um, but overall, uh, it's been a really, really good year, kind of post COVID back to quote unquote normal. So yeah, it's been nice. Same exact yeah, nice. parallels with golf. I mean, it's funny. I that what we sat down and talked about, it, and you took the the words right out of my mouth. Is how many events are we going to do, and which ones are going to not be there next year? And that's always a question for you know committees. But committees tend to go, I have to say, the traditional route. And sometimes you know, coming out of COVID too, we had to have so much added programming to to meet the needs of so many people being on property that we have to remember that uh, people just want to come and play sometimes now. And, right, and, yeah. and, and the course I'm sure, and the courts for me have that capability. Now we're not over, over jammed. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's vital to look back every year at this time, get that calendar out and say, do we want to do this differently next year? Because it might not have worked this year. And yeah, every year's I th- different. I think also, you know, you have to look at it from two, two different lenses. There's the, the lens of, of the member looking just to play golf and there's also the lens of your your staff and, and trying to avoid burnout on your team because if you if you lump five or six big events in, in a short period of time, that fifth and sixth event, you, your team is a little bit fried. Um, and it's it's always something to manage. I always try to figure out every year how to keep everybody, including myself, by the way, fresh for like an extra week. You know, can can we stay fresh through the whole season? You know, and, and avoid you know, burning out or, or, or kind of just trying to get through it at a certain point of the year. And I, I think, I think the calendar has a lot to do with that and, and trying to spread out some of the more labor intensive events to, to give not only my team, but also the kitchen and the other staff, which work equally hard on, on these events, um, a, a little bit of a break between some of the big ones. Um, because you, you want to always do the best job for every event. You know, every tournament is somebody's U.S. Open. So we need to make sure we, we make it that for everybody. And um, your team's got to be fresh to do it. So that, that's also part of, the, part of the planning process. That's so, so well said um, from both views, the lens of the member and the lens of your staff. Pat, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. And we wish you all the best down there in Long Island. We miss you up here in Massachusetts, but I'm no, sure thanks, you're doing Ed. a great it's job. Been, it's been awesome to be on with you. And it was, um, I was up there, as we talked about before we started, I was up there a couple of weeks ago for um, the Centennial Party Contancet, which was uh, which was awesome. And it was great to great to be back in Marion and, and see some familiar faces and be a part of that party. It was really uh, really something pretty special. So um, we miss it up there, but we're, we're doing great down here. And it was, uh, it was great, to, great to catch up with you. Thank you again for having me. Thank you for listening to BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. It's a pleasure bringing you each week's news and views and great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at BeyondTheBaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. 
please do visit our website at www.beyondthebaselines.com, which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.